0: Hi, and welcome to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, where we share positive stories and suggestions about finding hope, resources, and connections to help us all get through hard times. I'm Karen Sullivan, a mom, an author, and a stage four cancer patient who's always looking around me for inspiration. I believe in surrounding myself with people and experiences that make me smile. And that's what I'm hoping to do for you today. So grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so excited to introduce you to Carla mans co-director of the Radical Remission Project and co-founder of Health Navigators, as well as a holistic health cancer coach, educator, and motivational speaker. She's also a radical remission survivor living with stable metastatic breast cancer for almost eight years. Carla is passionate about integrative health and sharing the journey of healing with others. She's also a co host of the Stories That Heal podcast. And today she's going to share her story and help us understand more about the adventures toward radical remission. Carla, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure Karen. So nice to meet you and and get to have a conversation with you about good stuff.
0: Now, let me say as I'm sitting here introducing you, I'm thinking, you know, I said that you are living with stable metastatic breast cancer. Now, for those that don't know, metastatic breast cancer is when it's otherwise known as stage 4. It mm-hmm. is when your cancer, one's cancer, has left the point of origin. In this case, breast. Now, when I said it's stable, you are stable, but I believe you said you have NED, which is no evidence of disease. So, is that considered stable?
1: It is actually no evidence of disease for the past seven and a half years. So, stable is a little bit inaccurate, and that's my fault. I think, I think that got put into a
0: bio somewhere, and it's replicated. <laughs> well, and 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 that's why, as I, as I was. Was thinking that I mean, like, it is all about terminology. You have been stable. We all know with metastatic breast cancer, it's it's you know there, there's a fine line. I think the doctors would say you cannot cure it. Right. They are hoping and believing, and I'm in that school of thought that it's you know I don't. It, it doesn't have to be a death sentence. Hey, I've lived right. with it for ten years, and I'm following the the, the scientific plan of being on these medications. I live it largely like a chronic disease. Same and here. Yes, so you always have to be mindful of it. However, you do have no evidence of disease, so you are a bit beyond the stable. And and I'm um you know as we're sitting here dancing and clapping yes. for those of you <laughs> that are just listening to us. Uh, well, welcome. I'm really excited. Can you tell us a little bit about your story so people yeah. are getting to know you? They. Yeah. they Many people have heard my story, whether it's the episodes or, you know, early in the days when I started prettywellness.com right after my initial diagnosis, but that was 10 years ago. Yeah.
1: And my initial diagnosis was 21 years ago now. So I um, got that early stage breast cancer diagnosis at the age of 37. My boys were two and five at the time. Um... You know, I look back on it now, I'm like, you know, nine months, it was over and done. And I went on with my life. My husband's like, "Mm, well, so we forget, right? We do. We kind of put that out of our minds. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't like the worst experience of mastectomy, chemo, radiation, and, you know, all of that. But it certainly had its challenges. And I did do that as a conventional approach, and I just really did want to get
0: back to raising my boys and building my career. So that's that's actually my story in a way too. Is that I was I was thirty one, so I was was slightly younger, but Mm -hmm. still, you and I both younger than forty, which is uh, so we were young for breast cancer. And I I was a good patient. I did what they told me to do. I was early stage initially nineteen years ago, and I followed the course of action. And I just wanted to get back to life. I didn't realize the statistics that, unfortunately, 30% of people that have early-stage breast cancer comes back as metastatic. Right. And the thing, same, all the same with all of that. The thing
1: is, nobody tells you that if your body was hospitable to cancer once and you don't make any changes, it's going to be hospitable to cancer again. Right. And if you've had it once, you're more likely to get it another time. And so, what I realized with the metastatic diagnosis 11 years after that first diagnosis was that I needed to change the environment in which that cancer was able to grow. And that is a body, mind, and spirit effort that I undertook immediately. I knew. But I did have the original oncologist um, back on the case with the metastatic diagnosis. And um, he did tell me in the beginning, this is a chronic disease we can manage. Mine was a hormone receptor positive breast cancer. So he really gave me the permission to manage the hell out of this cancer, which I was all in like, all right, I know how to manage things. I'm a project manager. I'm a type A. I can do this. And I dug in and started making major lifestyle changes. And I did a lot of things all at once. And within three months of that diagnosis, you know, I had cancer all through my bones. Um, it wasn't in any organs. There may be some nodules in the in the lungs, but, you know, that never amounted to anything. Um, but I had a, a symptom that was clearly causing me an issue. My leg was falling out from underneath me. I couldn't do a lunge. And then it got to the point where I, I'd just be walking along and my leg would go and I'd fall down. So of course they're like, oh, you have to use a cane. And I'm like, ah, nine years old, I don't need to use a cane, this is ridiculous. But because of the lifestyle changes and the anti-cancer meds, right? Those hormone blocking drugs within three months. So that first follow-up scan, three months later, things were stable and the symptom was receding. So what had happened was the cancer literally was growing in such a way on the bones that it was pinching a nerve pathway. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. It was pinching a nerve in my low back and my vertebral body, which was causing my left leg to be numb. That's how I originally felt something's wrong here. My leg's numb. I was shaving my legs and I'm like, why is my leg numb? And, um, you know, just fast forward through all of that with that three-month scan being stable. I'm like, all right, I'm on the right path. I'm doing good stuff. We're going to keep going. And I actually knew before the three-month scan because the symptoms were receding. And I stayed the course and I just kept digging a little bit more. And my diagnosis came in late 2014. So I was dealing with this all in 2015. And Radical Remission came out that year. I found it somewhere along the way. It's a book written by Dr. Kelly A. Turner, and it gives you the nine healing factors that Radical Remission survivors used to overcome the odds. And when I looked at that book, I I looked at the table of contents, which are the nine different lifestyle factors. And I thought, oh, look at me, check, check, check. I've done these things. Yay. And there were a couple that I hadn't really explored or didn't understand, you know, so I dug in and I really felt strongly that I was on the right path and that I just needed to continue. And it was a year and a half later, you know, stable all that time, but a year and a half later when a liver tumor cropped up. now. I know why that liver tumor cropped up. I was using an E-string. So I was 49. I was in menopause. They didn't have to medically induce menopause, but I also wanted to still have a sex life. I still wanted comfort. I still needed, you know, so the E-string was a vaginal insert that was meant to only provide some estrogen
0: hormones that
1: in that area. And three doctors told me it would not be systemically uptaken. Four months after I started it, I had a liver tumor. So I popped that thing right back out of there and said, okay, apparently I'm super extra sensitive and we aren't doing that anymore. And within, so when that happened, I switched my care from my conventional oncologist Um fired him nicely, said, thank you, goodbye, and went to an integrative oncologist who supported me in the lifestyle changes I was making. And that was so important to me. I was so tired of getting the eye roll from the doctor or
0: the, oh, that's ridiculous, or just take the pill and go home and have a brownie and drink a margarita and live your life. Wait, can I jump in there? And can you tell us the difference between your medical oncologist and your integrative oncologist? Yes. So the conventional oncologist
1: is your 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 conventional Western medical doctor that believes that we need to kill cancer cells. So that's that's the doc that's going to give you the chemo, the radiation, the meds, etc. An integrative oncologist takes the approach of your body can heal itself. Let's rebuild your immune system so that your body can do the work it's meant to do. So while we will use those conventional medicine or medical approaches, we're also going to use the integrative approaches that often get thought of as complementary or sometimes fall into that alternative category. My integrative oncologists believe that diet made a huge difference, supplements could be of benefit to building that immune system, that the mind and the spirit needed to be involved. and brought all of that in, right? And also uses IV infusions and hyperbaric oxygen and, um, you know, just different things that support the
0: body in rebuilding and healing itself. I mean, that's amazing to the point of the nine healing factors, it sounds like they're very aligned. Uh, I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about those nine healing factors. And I say it sounds like it because I've read the book myself. Yes. But uh, what what are those? Yeah. And I do want to say There is now 10
1: healing factors. So she wrote the first book in 2015. And then Dr. Turner looked at why isn't exercise and movement in this? It's so important to to remission, to getting through treatment, to prevention. And when she went back and looked at her original research, um, she found that all of the radical remission survivors, the 1,500 plus people that she studied, were actually moving their bodies as much as they could when they could. So let me just, so then she wrote Radical Hope, which Got is it. the second book and t- came out in 2020, and it added that 10th factor. And let's, let's take a break here and just say what a radical remission is. So a radical remission is a cancer remission that occurs without conventional medical or after conventional medical has failed to work or when conventional and complementary are used in conjunction. That's your integrative approach. That's interesting. To that- overcome, yeah. But also to say, to overcome a dire prognosis.
0: Okay. So a dire prognosis, would would you consider stage four a, a dire prognosis? Because, yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Your late stage cancers are really what Dr.
1: Turner was looking at, not the early stage stuff so much. She was looking at people in that first book, Radical Remission, was really focused on people who had taken a alternative approach. Or the conventional approach didn't work for them, sent them home on hospice, and they still managed to find remission. It's the second book, Radical Hope, where she said, "All right, let's bring in the, now the people that are taking the integrative approach because you know how the integrative approach yes. hasn't been, it, it didn't, it didn't exist when you and I had our first diagnoses,
0: right? Right. And to your point, and you said this is that a lot of conventional doctors will say." you know, some of them will just ignore it or just say, you know, I can't tell you about that. Right. It's, it's not going to matter. I think I've been fortunate. I love all my doctors. My first doctors at Greenwich Hospital, my doctors now at Yale that would say, you know, sometimes they would say, listen, I didn't study that. Um, you know, so I cannot tell you tell you thumbs up, but I can tell you it's not going to hurt. And right. that would be when I would jump in and try something. I even am so grateful for my current oncologist, who, by the way, is a pharmaceutical scientist and a medical oncologist. He is a very smart man. But he'd say to me, listen, I didn't study nutrition. Go see X, Y, or Z. And he would pass me on. God bless him, right?
1: A lot of doctors are just like, nah, just, you know, like mine. He would say, go, go eat a brownie or drink a margarita because I'd yes. lost weight because I'd gone on a plant-based diet. And, yes. and I, no, I know that's not the right thing to do. Right. And I didn't feel supported. But there are lots of doctors now that are getting to the point where yes. like, okay, that's not part of my training. And I do want to say that I am not, the Radical Remission Project is not at all against conventional medicine. We believe there's a place for both.
0: And I love that. And I will tell you, that's why when I started you know, 10 years ago doing my research on who was thriving with stage four and what they were doing well, it was it to be well, was that I, I really wanted this... Uh, 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 the best of both worlds, put it that way. I didn't, and I'm I'm always very a moderate person. I believe in the integrative approach. I believe in that natural approach. On the same note, I wasn't willing to walk away from science. And at the time, 10 years ago, there was not a lot in the middle. And so to hear that, you know, Radical Hope, the new book, I will put, for those of you that are listening, I will put both these books and in, in a link in the show notes so that you can check them out. I think that's very important because when people are new to cancer, they may all all we know not many times all we know is we go to doctors doctor's diagnosis we don't want to walk away right away it's scary it's
1: scary right. it's, you're terrified you've got this diagnosis and all those the the mainstream medical knows is to let's kill the cancer with chemo radiation you know surgery you know that's what they know and they are experts on that and there's a place for that and um, we, we just need to get to the point where we treat our doctors like the experts they are in their field of expertise, but not as the experts on us. We are the only ones that can know our bodies well enough to decide what's right for us. And I like to tell people, and one of the radical remission healing factors is to be empowered. And that means you're the CEO of your health. So it visualize yourself sitting at the head of that boardroom table. And your doctors, practitioners, healers, all of them, everybody that's on your team is sitting around that table, giving you their
0: expert advice, their opinion, and their that. thoughts. Yeah. I love that. I will also say, I for those of you that listen to me, you know that I am a call me a recovering perfectionist. I worked in corporate for many years and I was like you had said I was very very tight A to a degree I still am but I was very busy filling my time because I thought that was what success looked like and and listen there was a lot of good I'm really proud of my corporate career however because I would never took time to just be because I was eating out of vending machines, I was so used to being bloated, which might have covered up things. Once I changed to eat a plant-based diet, once I started to move more, I became less bloated. I became like, I'm at a point where I kind of can tell now. I mean, it's been 10 years now. And and while I've uh, let other things into to my diet. I've, I've done a little more of this and a little less of that through the years. I still have maintained this change of lifestyle that I made 10 years huh? ago. Yeah, and good. so to your point of being empowering yourself, I feel like I know when my body is going through something. It's, it, you know, it's not a perfect science there, but when something feels off, I know it because I'm more in tune with my body. And so <laughs> I think when you are, are going through a lot, listen, at first, it's really hard because so much is being thrown at you. But once you, if you, you know, get to be lucky enough to deal with your illness, what your chronic illness it can be, but definitely in this case, cancer, or metastatic breast cancer, or metastatic cancer, it is powerful to know that you can be in a place where you can know your body. Mm-hmm. And and you need to be that advocate for yourself. Bring all these great as experts in because they're an expert in their category, but right. you know yourself. Right.
1: Yeah. And you, I think you're uh, my sister from another mother because your story, the corporate, all of it, it just aligns, right? Our, our stories are so, so similar. Um, and, and you said earlier something about being the good patient, right? And And that's what So many of us grow up learning to be the good patient. The authority figure is the person in the white coat and they know, and they know better than us. I've been to medical school. Why would I question them? But what we need to learn to do is listen to our bodies and sitting to just be is the start running on that hamster wheel of life is not a good thing for anybody. And then, you know, when you're not listening, you're not hearing those small whispers, that's when disease catches up with you and says, all right, you haven't been listening to me for 10 years or 15 or whatever. And it slams you in the face with some big diagnosis. So that's when a lot of us stop and go, okay, I got to make some big changes.
0: So you were, you were saying, I think I jumped in with so many questions because I have a lot of them that you went and you found this integrative oncologist in, can you tell us, how did you go about finding it? How did, I mean, yeah, I'm lucky enough to be in Chicago, in in a big city area, right? I'm
1: outside of Chicago, and um, you know, once you get a diagnosis, people, you know, reach Lock out to you, you right? and you you connect with others, and you're looking for somebody that's been there, done that. And what do you know? And you just start resources start showing up. So this doctor's name kept coming up, and I'm like, all right, I need to talk to this this guy. And it's right here in my backyard. And um, what's
0: the doctor's name? If we want to look him up,
1: we can tell you his name. He's amazing. Dr. Keith Block, B-L-O-C-K at the Block Center for Integrative Cancer Treatment in um, the Chicago area. And it's blockmd.com. And they are fabulous. I go there every month for my treatment. I am on the hormone blocking drugs and a hormone blocking injection, and I consider that my healing place and I kind of make a day of it it's it's a forty minute drive from home, and um I've started like going and doing some fun little museum or something on the day of my appointment yeah. because you know I'm in and out of there in an hour and a half or you know two hours at the most because I'm not there for infusions or chemo but it's my healing place. They support me in these lifestyle changes. They believe the body, mind, and spirit has to be involved in the healing process. And they, the Block Center believes healing's possible. They give you hope. Um, it's it's just amazing. It's an incredible place. Highly recommend that anybody that's looking for somebody different, a second opinion, um, check out the Block Center. But it's, and it's so nice to have that partnership of these healing factors, right? So I had started making lifestyle changes and they're permanent. They need to be. I don't want cancer to come back. So the lifestyle changes need to be permanent. I've made the changes so that I'm not a hospitable host for cancer anymore. I've I've made it so I'm very inhospitable to cancer. And it's my immune system now is catching it before it gets too far out of the process it should be in, right? And these healing factors, all of them, in Dr. Turner's research show that it it actually boosts your immune system, every single one of these factors. So in the books, she tells you about the factor, um, what the radical remission survivors were doing, what they learned, how they implement the factor. And then she gives you independent research studies that support this is why it's affecting your immune system and building your immune system back up.
0: Well, like I said, I'm, I'm really excited that the specific, specifically the second book talks a lot about being somewhere in the middle because there are so many, uh, maybe even call them influencers out there that are really into one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And I would like to believe, I mean, to your point, I believe that I've done so well because I've done what my doctors asked. On the same note, I went from eating baked lays and Diet Dr. Peppers for lunch to drinking a huge, you know, now Stanley mug full of water (laughs) that's infused with frozen pineapple. And I'm eating more smoothies, salads sometimes, although I'm more of a soup, vegetable soup. I I did start eating tofu in the the first several years, maybe even eight years. I stayed away from tofu because I, I, no one was sure of, yeah, of the soy, the whole the soy, soy you know, okay. the plant estrogen, okay or not. But in, yeah. I think I've come to terms with um with it it just digests differently. Lots of great information from Dr. Keith Block about soy
1: and breast cancer. And it is okay. It's yes. actually those phytoestrogens are actually protective and can block the estrogen from feeding the cancer. So um yeah, good stuff. So, you know, and I, I do want to make sure your audience gets to hear that the radical remission factors, there's 10 of them, only three of them are physical. So there is diet, that's a huge yes. thing. That's a foundational, you gotta have the right nutrition because that's what's fueling your body. Right. And that's either fueling cancer or not fueling cancer. So you really want to pay attention to that. Then the exercise and movement is really important. And that's the one that Dr. Turner said, wait, there's, there's something's missing here. But when people leave conventional care on hospice expecting to die, they're not exercising like they think exercise is meant to be done, right? Not like they used to, but they started moving their bodies as much as they could when they could. And it was really important to their healing process. And then the third one is the herbs and supplements. So get the diet in order first, and then maybe some herbs and supplements are going to be appropriate to help you, you know, with those final pieces. But the other seven are spiritual and emotional factors. Things like um, following your intuition. So really tapping in and you have to sit and just be in order to listen to your intuition. If you're never quiet, if you never stop moving, if you never turn off the radio or the TV or the phone or all of that stuff, your intuition isn't going to get heard. And so sitting and just being is, is definitely a big piece of my healing that I had to learn. But intuition can help us to go within and to tap into that inner wisdom, right? So that we can start to understand what our body needs and what it's trying to tell us. And I personally am a big proponent for a diagnosis is a message. Your body is trying to tell you something. Stop and listen. What's it trying to tell you? What does it want you to do differently? How do you need to reprioritize your life? Um, A couple of the other factors, deepening your spirituality um, is really important because, you know, having something bigger than yourself, right? That that connection with a higher power, whatever you want to call it, can be really important. And, um, also having a strong reason for living, right? Like what's your why? Why are you here? And for a lot of people, it could be their children, their families, but for people that don't have children, there's still a big reason why, right? And you just need to tap into and believe in, you know, your reason for living and really use that to help you then implement the other healing factors that might feel kind of hard to implement.
0: What's interesting is, and this is outside of, you know, the conversation of, of healing and ailment. I've been reading a book or listening on audible by Arthur Brooks. Um, Do you know who he is? The um, I'm reading it too. Are you really, it's, what is it called? Strength to strength. So he's got strength to strength, which I've read.
1: And I gave my husband that for Christmas. And then his other one that he did with Oprah that just came out is build the life you want.
0: So, okay. I found him through Oprah through Uh, and it was a few years ago Mm -hmm. a podcast episode and so where what i was going to go with this is he does in in the first book strength to strength he talks about how in a sense of your purpose earlier on in life is different than your purpose after or in his case the way he framed it was people who were quote unquote very successful with the metrics that a lot of times in corporate making a lot of money you know getting promoted numbers, getting promoted, Mm -hmm. uh, early on your, your brain changes through life, Mm -hmm. your situation changes through life too. And so if you were expecting those same type of outward accolades or outward successes that you got when you were younger when you're in your 40s, 50s, then 60s on to retirement, retirement's going to be harder for you. And so he talks about having a different purpose. And, you know, again, purpose really isn't so much the word he uses, but it made me think of it when you were talking Mm -hmm. about, listen, like, yes, for for me, my legacy is my family. And my reason for living is I used to crawl in bed after the, the Stage four diagnosis 10 years ago. And by the way, the bed was a toddler bed, my son's bed. <laughs> and I would curl up next to him and I would cry and be like, I don't know if I'm gonna live four, you know, four months, four years, four decades, but I need to be here for him. And now, of course, I feel the same way. I also have been, you know, like you said, I, I think it's I've been tapping into my intuition. Know that ever since I was a little girl, I love talking on the phone. So you and I, right now, yes, I'm interviewing you on this podcast episode but I feel clearly like we've been friends right. uh, with all these similarities here. And I have found something that just fuels me so much. And so I encourage you, you the listener out there, if you are listen, know somebody maybe they don't have a family and maybe they are feeling really distraught about whether it's cancer or whether it's another hardship they're going through, there are so many ways that they can – when they're ready that they can educate inspire service find a purpose maybe it's just getting their angst out on paper as a poem or, or through art that can you know give them that sense of purpose whatever hardship they're going through Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Because I often tell people that come through the
1: radical remission workshops, and we're talking about strong reasons and people like, I don't know, I don't know what my what's, what's my purpose? What am I here for? It doesn't have to be anything big. It doesn't have to be grandiose. You don't have to find the cure for cancer or win a Nobel Peace Prize or be famous like Oprah. You just need to look at your day to day life and the meaning that you feel and, and, and bring to others right? So even without a family, you can really be the inspiration for other people or the thoughtful person or the funny one, or, you know, and it's how you touch other people around you. That's what's really important and what matters. That's where the meaning and purpose comes from. What's your gift to others? And it can be hard, but it's definitely something worth working on and exploring. And and yes, it definitely changes. You think about, you know, how important your your son is when he's a toddler and, you know, the older they get, mine are 25 and 22 now. They're still important to me, but they're not as needy and they're not, you know, they're like, go fly, little birdies fly, right? And I'm ready to
0: take on the next thing. And so purpose has certainly changed for me. Now, you had said that you went and you found uh, Dr. Keith Block. Mm-hmm. And so clearly this was the new direction for you. So, how is it going? And how oh, gosh, did that? You yeah, know, let happen- me tell you the end of that great story. So, when I got that liver
1: tumor, I switched over to Dr. Block and we took the integrative approach, right? So, we just switched up. One med, right? I was on two for hormone blocking. Um, the analogy is, you take this one to block the side roads, and you take this one to block the highway, right? So the okay, I like estrogen that estrogen can't feed that cancer. So we switched up one of those drugs, and within six months, that liver tumor was fully resolved, and I've seen no evidence of cancer since. Wow! And it's been almost eight years, as you mentioned. Wow! Yes, wow! That's incredible. Am I not the luckiest girl on the planet, right? And I'm going to keep that going. I have every intention of living to be 101 healthy and sane
0: and loving life and, and doing great things. That's incredible. So how did you then get connected with the Radical Remission Project? Well, so I had found
1: the book Radical Remission and started utilizing the information in it. And I went to a workshop and it was one of the last workshops that Dr. Turner herself was teaching. And she, the next year... Um, was offering teacher training for the second cohort of teachers. And I'm like, I got to be there. i am got to learn this. So I went and went through the teacher training, got certified by her. I got my national board, a health and wellness certification and um, all with the perfect timing of my corporate job, deciding to move from Chicago to Boston and um, severing me after 18 years. Wow. So I got a to- big fat severance package. And I was like, yay, I get to reinvent myself now. So became a holistic cancer coach to help people like me and you and others find their way through that healing journey.
0: And um, that's what I've been doing ever since 2019. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this is your, your story is inspiring. Your story gives hope. And I know that when I got the stage four diagnosis, and by the way, I've having dealt with an earlier stage of cancer. I thought I knew cancer. And so that really felt sucker punched at that. It was, even the first time, anytime you get, you get touched by, I would think any illness, you wonder what else is out there and you, and one would want hope and your story and so many others provide that. Can you tell me like what, you know, now as you're, living with no evidence of disease. It seems like your, your mind is, is always understands that you are a metastatic breast cancer survivor. And so you need to, like you said, make sure you're keeping yourself healthy. Can you also tell us like what keeps you happy? Oh my gosh. I am a born optimist. So it's really pretty easy for me.
1: I know I said, you're my sister from another mother. (laughs) Or is that sister from another mister? Um, anyway, yeah, right, right. We're, whichever. We're related somehow, some way. Yeah, exactly. I wake up happy. I really do um, most days. I have my moments, but for the most part, being an optimist, um, I look at each day as an, it's a new day. Okay. I didn't feel great yesterday, but today's a new day. Uh, My family brings me a lot of happiness. My friends bring me a lot of happiness, but this work that I get to do that I am so blessed to be able to do is really where a lot of my happiness and fulfillment come from. I am helping people with one-on-one coaching through a cancer healing journey. I am helping people as a co-director of the Radical Remission Project to spread the word about radical remission and radical hope, to let people know that there are other things that can be done, that there is hope, that there is inspiration. There are outliers. these All of these radical remission survivors that are written about in both books are outliers. People who have overcome the odds in spite of being given perhaps a prognosis that they only had months or a year to live, right? And I am just so passionate about sharing this information from Dr. Turner's research.
0: Well, that is, like I said, this is, your story's amazing. I can't wait to read the second book. I read the first one and I was a fan of it. And the second one, knowing – I always love when authors will update their work and they understand that what they wrote about was important, but maybe there's more to talk about. And so right. and the fact that she's built these ways, like we can all read a book and ha- under the best intentions be like, okay, I'm going to do that. And then, you know, I like that, the, that you offer workshops, you offer counseling, and there's connection so that people don't feel like they need to do it on their own. Exactly. I think that can be – listen, y- you know, our friends, our families, they – well, I was going to most of the time they're supportive. And by the way, I have learned, which might be a part of the um the, the, the healing factor is, is that you want the right people on the bus. If exactly. there are people that are not being supportive or are pushing and telling you something that you don't feel right about, maybe they're not the people at that moment to be talking about. But yeah. nonetheless...
1: I- I do like to tell people like you, you've got to figure out who is the most positive, helpful people and keep them closer to you right in your circle of, of, you know, uh, and then push out those negative or toxic people much further away from you, right, maybe completely cut them off. But if they're relatives, you may not be able to, but you know, you don't have to listen to them or talk to them. So yeah, your your support, social support, the people that are around you, um, that's really important. That's one of the factors. And it's really about the love and support that you receive from others. And you need to be willing to receive it. And you even need to learn how to ask
0: for help. That's a big part of that factor. I actually, I did a podcast episode at this point a few years ago with someone who... Like me, found it found it hard to ask for help because oftentimes I feel like oh I'm asking somebody a favor and I need I need to be willing to give it back and many times I am to be honest but I don't like asking for the favor and it was great it was great I I was talking to somebody who felt very similar to me and we really uh, we really dug deep on why it is important to ask for help because by the way so many people that are out there knowing that they're friends with you and they're having a hard time like it's a gift to them. In a way, because they want to, they want to help and they feel hopeless. And so, you know, in fact, I I sit here as I've got a a treatment next week and my husband's not going to be here. So the friend that I happened to ask, I almost told her no, Mm -hmm. because she's, listen, we're all busy, but she has a very high powered job. She's got a number of kids. She is, um, she's very busy. And I almost called her to say, listen, I get you're busy. I'll find somebody else. And then I realized like. I think she really wants, like there's a lot she can't do for me, but this she can. Right. And so I think she wants to be there. So yeah. um, so anyway, before we go, I, I end every uh, podcast episode for those of you that are new to me with playing what I call the grateful game. This was something my son and I started when he was nine. He is now 15. <laughs> um, and I say, I think he nodded his head and went along with me because he just wanted to stay up later. I brought home <laughs> A Like a gratitude journal that I received from someone when I was doing a speaking engagement. And we would stay up and we would read a page and we would try and create a list of what we were grateful for and why in that day. And it didn't quite work well because the light would be on, we were taking notes, and he'd stay up later. So we changed it to make it work for us. Mm-hmm. He had one of those. It wasn't a fitbit, but it was whatever the kids' version of the timer and the counter. And so he pressed play and we gave each other two minutes and who could say what they were grateful for and why it was a competition. and of course, you know he won every time <laughs> But more importantly, because we started doing this every day, it became a habit mm-hmm. and it became a, a positive habit where're Throughout the day, we would both be mindful about what was going on around us. Right. And so I think this was great for me, even maybe more than him, because I would stop and think like, oh my goodness, I just saw a butterfly. Wow. I just saw two butterflies. How beautiful is that? Hmm. That cardinal over there. Do I think that means anything? If not, it just made me smile. Or you know what? I'm grateful that the weather is great today. And sometimes these little things i found really helped me during hard days because i'd like to think that we all know that we're grateful for our health if we've got good health we're grateful for the roof above us we're grateful for the big things in life but sometimes when life is like it's raining and pouring yeah it's it's hard to um it's hard to feel great about that so sometimes for me I watch a funny movie. I watch a Days of Our Lives episode. And I will always say on those soap operas, their life is worse than mine. And so finding the little joys and being mindful about why it makes me smile has been really helpful in my healing journey. And so that's why I open it out. If you are listening right now, as I'm going to ask Carla what she's grateful for and why today... I ask you to take a moment and think about it as well. And you know what, if you're driving right now and don't want to spend the time or energy, um, maybe talk about it with your family at dinner or before bed or even in the car. That's a great time to talk to teenagers, right? And ask mm-hmm. them about their day, what they're grateful for or something that was a challenge just to open up that conversation. That's beautiful. I love that you taught your son this and that it's still something you guys do.
1: That's, that's wonderful. Well, thank you. I have a gratitude practice I've had for a long time and there is so much value in it because like you said, you you figure out each day something that you can like, okay, I'm gonna go back to it. And you know what happens when you think about it again in the evening? You are actually reliving that moment of gratitude and the smile comes back. And when you're smile, smiling and grateful, your body's releasing those healthy
0: hormones that help to boost your immune system. I love to hear that because oftentimes... You know, if we have a little extra time, I I go through that story and I tell, if you've listened to my other, to other podcasts, sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's longer, but it's around the same. And I think that's great. It does make me really excited because it has become so natural for me. Like last August, when I was, my cancer was going a little different direction, I had every reason. And yes, I was scared. And yes, I was crying. And yes, I was upset. But I will also tell you that I would come back and I'd say, Um, all these reasons why I was okay because of I was grateful for this, I was grateful for that. So it didn't necessarily change the trajectory of the course of the cancer, but it sure did make me feel better in those day-to-days when life was really hard. Mm. So I think it's powerful. So okay, share with us real quick something that you're grateful for today and why.
1: Something I'm grateful for is the Radical Remission Project Stories That Heal podcast.
0: Because...
1: We created this just this past November, and it's giving us the opportunity to reach so many more people with this powerful information of Dr. Turner's research. So we're sharing stories of other survivors, people who are radical remission survivors. They've overcome a dire prognosis. And every fourth episode is with a practitioner or healer or someone that is helping people to overcome a diagnosis. So um, it gives me so much pleasure to be able to talk to people each week and to
0: have these podcasts out there in the world. Well, that is wonderful. That is useful. You're a great speaker and you're a great, I can imagine you're a great interviewee. I'm sure you're a great interviewer. So thank you for being a part of Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, Carla with a K, coming from Karen with a C, your host right here. <laughs> and for all the listeners out there, thank you always for joining me with these stories and the suggestions that you get. My goal is to help you find, you know, clearly the title of the podcast, Happiness Through Whatever Hardship you're going through. and hopefully find some joy in this journey we call life. So thanks again for being here and bye for now, everyone. One more thing. I would be so grateful if you'd take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sending you lots of happiness and great health.